All right, if you would take your Bibles, if you have a copy of the Scriptures with you, I'd love to look at Hebrews chapter 11 with you this morning again as we continue looking at by faith whatever. And so, you know, if God interrupted you and said, I want you to go to Jordan for the next two years, that would be a by faith whatever moment for you, right? And you may sit there right now going, I'm not sure I'd be prepared to say yes to that. My fears, my other things might get in the way of you saying yes to that. So this series is really about preparing our hearts with such a confidence in God that we are without fear able to say, Lord, whatever you ask me to do, the answer's yes. By faith, whatever circumstance, whatever season, wherever you lead, whatever, yes, Lord, I trust you, and my trust will be demonstrated in my obedience. So we have a unique act of faith demonstrated in our text today. We're simply going to be looking at one verse, verse 23 of Hebrews 11. Let me lead you through it. Hebrews eleven twenty three. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So we just jumped in. There's a lot in there. Let's read it again, but let's notice. Whose faith are we looking at here? Moses' parents. You, you might be thrown into beginning because it says, by faith, Moses. But we're not talking about the faith of Moses here. Why not? He's a baby at the time. So this is by faith. Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. So their act of faith was doing what? Uh, okay, yeah, this was not, I didn't mean this to be a hard question. Uh, it was hiding him. Why? Because they saw he was a beautiful child. And, just as important, they were not afraid of the king's edict. If you're not sure what that means, we'll look at that in a moment. Every account in Hebrews 11 has a historical narrative that goes with it. So turn from Hebrews 11, please, now back to the second book of your Bible, the book of Exodus, chapter 2. So very beginning of your Bible, almost Exodus chapter 2, and we'll get the historical account that the writer of Hebrews is referencing. It says in Exodus chapter 2, Beginning in verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son. So this is a happy moment, right? A child, a new marriage, a new family. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. Usually if your kid's beautiful, what do you do? You post him. That's what you do. She didn't post him, she hid him. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child, her boy, into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister, so this was not their first child, 
He has an older sister. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid and she brought it to her. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the boy was crying. Hot, thirsty, hungry, dirty, any number of reasons. And she had what? She had what? She had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Think she had someone in mind? Yeah. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. And so where'd she go? She went back to mom. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to mom, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I'll give you your wages. So the woman, mom, took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. We, some of us know this story too well. We're not marveled by that story that we just read. Just phenomenal story of unfolding before our eyes. And it's a, it's a story, yes, of Moses as a baby, but it's more a story about who again? His parents. It's a story about Moses' parents. So with, with them in mind, with that historical account, now go back again, verse 23, Hebrews 11, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Why? Because they saw he was a beautiful child. And second, they were not afraid of the king's edict. So what we have in this text, quite frankly, is a description, a portrait, if you will, of parents who hid their son because he was beautiful and they were not afraid. We have a picture of faithful Parents. Now, you see what I've done. We usually make that one word and we call somebody faithful. But I think in doing that, sometimes we miss that what we are saying about this whole series of faith is it's not about having more faith, it's about having faith more. So, having faith more is parents who were faithful. In other words, faith was present, whatever. And sometimes we can look at this story and go, oh, if that would have been me, I don't know if I would have had enough faith. But that's not the point. It's not about having enough faith. It's having faith because faith, if it's present, is always sufficient because the power of faith is not in the amount but in the object. Faith in that moment. So this is really a a teaching for us about what it means for us to be parents who are full of faith. In other words, have faith regardless of the situation, whatever. Three characteristics. First, faithful parents recognize children are beautiful. That's the word in the text, right? Now, 
do we mean that they recognized, oh, look at baby Moses. He's so cute. Was he cute? No, he wasn't cute. How do we know he wasn't cute? Because babies are never cute. Infants are never cute. I mean, we lie about it at times, but they're not cute. They are shriveled and red and cottage cheese. And they don't have their eyes open yet. And people lie all the time. Oh, look at that cute little baby. And they turn around and you see a fish. And then they... Babies aren't cute, are they? It's genuinely true. That's a face only a a mother could love at that moment. It's like, oh, so... Now, I know some of you are going, well, our guy was really... I know. You think your baby was cute. Or your grandbaby was cute. Babies are rarely to never cute. So don't think that they were going, wow, this is a keeper. So cute. As if Moses would have been born ugly and they're like, I'm not keeping that one. This is not the child was beautiful appearance-wise, right? No, it's it's much deeper than that. The, the psalmist gives us a picture of what we mean by beautiful when he says, Psalm 127, behold, children are a, a gift, beautiful gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So when Moses and when Moses' parents had a Child, for nine months, what do you think they were hoping? Honestly, do you know the king's edict? If you know the king's edict, what were they hoping? They were hoping for a girl. If you've ever thought about that, how many times did they say, God, please let it be a girl, please let it be a girl, please let it be a girl, please let it be a girl. And God gave them a, a boy. Did he make a mistake? No, he was, what's the word in the text? He was beautiful. In other words, he was the gift that the Lord had for them. Even though they hoped for a girl, God gave them a boy. Children are beautiful. They are a gift from the Lord. A beautiful gift from the Lord. And I don't want us to ever lose sight in our thinking and who we are as people that all children, did you hear me? All children, all children are a beautiful gift. And I say all children because sometimes those beautiful gifts come by conception, some by adoption, and some by fostering. And I don't want anyone to ever think this is the sweetest gift and adopted is second class. It's a second class gift. Fostering is just a substitute. All of these are beautiful gifts from the Lord. And oftentimes, in reality, it is the adopted gift that is the sweetest gift. Not always, but often. For those who felt 
the heaviness and the sorrow and the grief of not being able to conceive. Are seeing beautiful gifts around the world discarded and not seen as beautiful. Children born but not considered beautiful and therefore adopted. Or those who will say, maybe I'll do the hardest, and that is foster knowing that I only get a window of time to pour the life of Christ in me, through me upon this child, but that window may close at any point. But that's a gift. Why? Why is that a gift? Don't miss this. It's because Moses' parents recognize what is essential to who we are as Christ followers, that all life, all children, beautiful, because they are gifts from the Lord. The psalmist says later, for you form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Who's the you here? Who's the you in the text? God is. The Lord formed my inward words. He wove me in my my mother's womb. I'll give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Whether that was through the womb of the mother, through adoption, through foster, that every child is, this is not looks, every child is beautiful. Why? Because they are gifts from the Lord and they are fearfully and wonderfully made by him. Now, when Moses' parents, what was their act of faith? What was their act of faith? By faith, Moses, when he was born, he didn't do anything, but his parents hid him for three months. Why? Well, if you've been in the dark thus far, here's why they would take a gift from the Lord and instead of show it, hide it, because The verse that ends chapter 1 before we started in Exodus chapter 2 says this. Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born you're to cast into the Nile and every daughter you're to keep alive. You want a girl. See, Moses' parents lived in Egypt and Pharaoh was their leader, and Pharaoh had said to all his people, if the Hebrews have a boy, you cast him into the Nile. That is the law. And they didn't do it. Why not? Why not? Because children are beautiful. They are A gift from the Lord, fearfully and wonderfully made. And you may go, really? That's. I had in this study something strike me to the core that I have never somehow not connected. I've always looked with horror at Pharaoh and his command here. And for the first time, I realized. 
He was simply pro-choice. He was a pro-choice leader. Boys are a threat. Girls are an asset. Let's do what's best for us and get rid of the rest. And I always thought of it as something distant. And I was struck to the core that I and you live in Egypt. We have a pro-choice leader. Some lives are valuable if you want them, and other lives you can throw them in the Nile. And all of perspective on life begins with what do you really believe about human life? Did the people of Israel, did the Hebrews get to choose their Pharaoh? Yes or no? No. They lived under it. So I want to to say not as a political statement, but as a political statement rooted in Scripture. When 20 to 40 in the, the... Statistics vary. When 20 to 40 million people who say they believe this book do not participate in a voting process that determines whether a leader will lead us who believes that children are beautiful or who believes that children are expendable and we are silent, shame, on us. You see, we can sit here. You are all, you're all with me. Now, now maybe you think, oh, I think you're getting out of, out of bounds here in Scripture. I am not. You were all with me when you were saying, hey, children are beautiful from the Lord. We do believe that. And therefore, if we believe that, then to the degree that God gives us opportunity, we ought to act upon it. To the degree that Moses' parents were able to act upon their belief in the sanctity of human life, they did. They didn't have complete control, but they did their part. And I would plead with you, the people of God, that if you would believe this book, that you would recognize the sanctity of human life is where this whole book begins. And therefore, to the degree that you have opportunity to influence, that you would say, I'm not going to stand on the sideline because I don't agree with foreign policy or I don't agree with that economic development plan. There are not biblical mandates that inform foreign policy or economic development, but there are biblical mandates that determine the sanctity of human life. And if we are the people of God, then by faith we should vote. Not in fear, which is what we'll talk about in a moment. By faith we should vote. 
that's one of the privileges that we have in the country that God has placed us. And we should uphold if we believe children are beautiful. And if we are appalled by what Pharaoh's edict is, then we should be equally appalled by our own country's stance. We are, we are a modern version of Egypt right there. And we ought to be horrified by it, by faith. So, because they believed children were beautiful, even though the king said, the boys are not, what did they do? What did it say? By faith they hid. So, faithful parents recognize, and I've, I hope I've sufficiently challenged you to go, do I really believe all children are beautiful? If, if I do, then faithful parents not only see children as beautiful, faithful parents hide their children. That's what they did. By faith, they hid Moses. Because he was beautiful, not, and we'll see again, we'll come back to that. Hiding, meaning to the best that they could, they sought to provide protection, the role of the parent. And I say the best they could because every parent will soon realize that when attempting to hide our children, we have limited control and absolutely no guarantees of how they will be protected. Do you understand what I mean? You see, they did whatever they could for how long? Three months. Now, you and I would never, ever think of saying, we've done what, we've con- what we could do for our children. We've got to release them at three months. Their timeline was three months. Sometimes we lose sight of limited control and no guarantee, and and we don't want to release it 30 years. But there's a time for every parent to take the basket, put the coating on it, place the, the child in the basket, and walk away. It's the picture of faithful parents. Of saying, I've done what I've could, but I, I have to release. Did they have any guarantee of what would happen to that beautiful child? N- no. I don't think it was just frivolous. I think they tried to be as strategic as possible. We're not going to do the deed ourselves. We're not going to drown our children because children are beautiful. And we're not going to discard. We're going to, as much as we can and strategically as we can, protect. 
but they had to let go. When the sister watched, did you notice when she stepped out of the reeds and revealed herself? Did you notice in the text when she did it? She did it when she saw Pharaoh's daughter had, I had you say the word to me, pity. Oh, there's, there's an opportunity. There's a window of opportunity. And so the daughter stepped in and gave pity, compassion, an outlet. They didn't know. They only knew the child was beautiful. Every child is. So they protected as much as they could, as long as they could, and then they released, trusting the Lord. As we seek to protect, let's be clear that faithful parents recognize spiritual harm is a greater danger than physical harm. As people of God, we, we, we need to not get caught up into a world that gives primary thought to physical protection and an afterthought to spiritual. We need to recognize what Jesus said about all humanity and apply it to our parenting. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? We need to ask ourselves that as parents. What's it profit our kids if they're successful and profitable and excellent in everything but not spiritual? There's, there's a priority, and every parent needs to look back in the last, I do, every parent, look back and go, all right, what are my decisions? And what are my own time commitments? What are they communicating about what I think really matters? Athletic achievement, academic achievement, or spiritual vitality? Because we live in a world that will lift up academic achievement and athletic achievement. I'm not saying that those things are wrong. I am saying they will, what profit are they? Jesus said, what profit are they? And so we live in a world that emphasizes those. And we can get caught in that cultural stream. And our weeks and our months and our years will get focused out of, uh, around priorities that don't profit. That's, that's a challenge for spiritual parents to be willing to swim upstream in this culture. Grandparents, what are you reinforcing? We have a spiritual danger far greater. Now, I want you to notice 
what their hiding was not about. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Why? What was the first reason? Beautiful gift, fearfully, wonderfully made. Children are not expendable. But, second reason, not because they were afraid of the king's edict. It would seem they hid because they were afraid. But actually, the writer goes out of his way to say their hiding was not an act of fear. It was an act of faith. Don't miss that. Faithful parents see children as beautiful, and faithful parents protect, but they protect not afraid. Faithful parents believe something about God, not afraid about something around them. See, I want you to hear me very clearly since I addressed the issue of voting. I think sometimes in the church we try to drum up voting fanned by fear. And I don't want us to vote because we're afraid as if... If the things don't go the way we hope they will, then the purposes of God are going to go down the drain. Exodus 2 is a perfect example of even in a God-forsaken, God-denying culture, God accomplishes his purpose. So we don't vote or act out of fear, at least we ought not to. Fear is not our motivator. This is not what motivated Moses' parents. In fact, the writer says they weren't afraid. Why not? Why weren't they afraid? But still hid. Well, they weren't afraid because by their actions they demonstrated. We believe our God is greater than any threat. We're not going to take the life of the child ourselves. We believe that life is a beautiful gift from God. We're not going to hide in fear. We're going to hide believing that God is greater than any threat. And if he wants to work through this beautiful child, then no threat will stop the work of God. You get the point in parenting? My greatest concern of saying faithful parents hide, faithful parents protect, is that what will we do then? We will over protect. Meaning, if our hiding is rooted in fear and not in faith, we will actually spiritually handicap our children. I don't need to hide out of fear. I don't need to try to protect my children out of fear. I want to protect my children as an act of faith. 
Not afraid of something, but believing, trusting in someone. That's radically different. If our parenting is rooted in fear, you know what we will teach our kids? That to be afraid themselves of people. That people are big, but God is small. That's what overprotecting our kids will do. It will spiritually handicap them to think of people as big and God as small. Pharaoh is to be feared above all. No, he's not. No, he's not. As you and I look at our seeking to provide protection to our kids, we we have to ask ourselves, is this rooted in faith? What will we believe about God, or is this rooted in fear? What we're afraid of happening to our children. See, what I cannot control, he does. I'm not afraid. I'm confident. Remember, this is about the faithfulness of God. So what I believe about God as a parent is that, that there are many things that are out of my control. I can teach my children, well, I should be able to, I obviously can't teach them how to drive. (laughs) But even if I could teach them how to drive more effectively, guess what? They're going to drive around with a a bunch of other people that I can't teach how to drive. So more than once in our household, are we going to let them drive over the Buckman? Are we going to live in fear? That doesn't mean I said, well, you got your first time behind the wheel. Hey, let's go on 295 and drive over the Buckman. You understand what I'm saying? There is a, there is a hiding, and then they said there is a, a trusting. <laughs> there is a responsibility, and then there is, I'm out of my league now. I can't do anything here. What I cannot control But I'm not afraid because he does. And he is always working for our good. Do you believe that? I love the song that Matt has written and we sang together this morning. I am his and he is mine. Things that once were wild alarms no longer have the power to harm. Even when it hurts, he's working for our good. See, the songs we sing are important. We are, we are reciting our theology together. So can I summarize for you in six words? Six words. You don't need to write them down because you can remember six words, right? Faithful parents, thank God. For what? Yeah, specifically as parents for what type of children? Beautiful children. Not cute. (laughs) Beautiful children created by God for God. Faithful parents thank God and they obey God. They obey him. They do their part. 
Your role is to protect as you are able the clear eye toward spiritual attack. You have, you have more than three months probably. Maybe 18 summers. Maybe more. Maybe less. And trust God. Specifically in parenting, not fearing what is beyond control, but easily within his. And so, recognizing fear will overprotect and therefore handicap. These are just explanations. Very clearly, very specifically, parents do what? Six words? Thank God, obey God, and trust God. That's not frivolous. Thank God. All children are beautiful. Obey him. I have a spiritual privilege to multiply. That is to demonstrate and to lead them as a shepherd to good feeding and to protection. And I trust God. Why? Because there's a lot that's out of my control, but entirely where? In his. Thank God. Obey God. Trust God. Father, I ask that, that this indeed would be the way we would function as parents. Whether we're parenting our kids or some of us parenting our own parents now. That we would thank God, thank you, obey you, trust you. And I pray that it would be how we would function in this culture. That we would be the people of God who thank you, obey you, and trust you. Father, would you forgive us for our sin as a country and devaluing human life? And would we be the church that is indeed salt and light? in our homes, in our community, and in this entire nation. We trust you. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. If we can pray with you, I want to remind you always prayer to connect, to be equipped, make an impact. You can talk to folks out in our courtyard. God bless.